Well, thank you for being here. My name is Rick Ashley, so if this is not the class you were looking for, this is your chance to get up and walk out. It will not hurt my feelings. In 40 years of preaching, I've seen just about everything you can see during this sermon, so you can uh, go feel free to go ahead and do that. So usually, for the last many, many years, I have taught an 830 class in Smothers, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But this year, if you're not aware, uh, they're trying something new that I'm excited to try, and that is they're going to have daily keynotes on Thursday and Friday in Smothers. So they'll have three keynotes on the Holy Spirit by uh, wonderful preachers uh, tomorrow and Friday. So that's what's going to happen in Smothers. Uh, there will be other classes going on those times if you would rather find something else. So this is the only time I'm teaching uh, for the rest of the week. Now, uh, I did a series of teachings on the Holy Spirit at my church several years ago. And uh, I'm going to do a message from that series. Some of the things I said last night were from that series. And uh, that series was titled, The Parting Gift. And along with that series, we prepared some discussion questions. So if you're looking for a resource for your church, for small groups, or for a, a Bible class, uh, you could uh, download that series. You could purchase the DVDs and show the teaching and then do the discussion questions. Uh, if, because I'm, this is my only time to teach, so I'm not going to be able to unpack all the things I would love to share with you about what the Lord has taught me regarding His Holy Spirit. But I want to focus this, again back in John 14 uh, through 16 on some things that Jesus said and unpack some truth there for you this morning. Now, I am from Texas. <coughs> And in Texas, we have two sports that are most popular. The first is football, and the second is spring football. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a story about a big game. They're playing for the district championship. It's a high school football game. High school football is huge in Texas. It's a tie score toward the end of the game, and the star quarterback gets hurt. And the coach has got to put in the backup. And he's nervous. Not because the boy didn't have some athletic kind but well, let's just say he didn't have the highest football IQ. So a coach told him, just go in there and do what I call. And he comes to the line of scrimmage, first play near the end of the game, and that backup quarterback called in the audible. Everyone can hear him. 14! 14! He turns, he hands the ball off to the running back who burst into a hole, goes 80 yards for a touchdown, they win the game. And afterwards, the coach is stunned. Son, what possessed you to change that play and call it audible? He says, well, coach, I came to the line of scrimmage and I saw the two biggest old linebackers I ever seen, number seven, number six, and I just had them get her and call 14. <laughs> Seven plus six does not equal fourteen. And he says, "No, if I was as smart as you, we'd have lost the game." Okay, silly story, but here's the point. What possible explanation is there for the radical success of the early church? By, by no logical standard should that movement have succeeded. They had absolutely no political clout. They had no financial resource. They had no educational status. They were nobodies. They were at the bottom 
They were on the margin. And in one generation, they literally changed the history of the world. What they did have was an absolute conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was Messiah and Lord. And they had the equipping of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus said, just before he died, I know you're sad. You're sad now, because I'm going away. But you will, one day you'll be glad that I went away, because I have to go away so that I can send what you need, what is best. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So you can read about that all through John 14 through 16. But I want to focus on just several verses, especially this morning. Starting in verse uh, 16 and 17 of chapter 14. I will ask the Father, and He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So three times in this section of text, Jesus is going to give the Spirit a name. Now He's going to use verbs to describe Him like advocate or helper or counselor. But three times he's going to give him a name. And all three times it's the same name. He's going to call him the Spirit of Truth. Not the Spirit of Joy, or the Spirit of Peace, or the Spirit of Love, or even the Spirit of Holiness, or Paul's favorite phrase, the Spirit of Christ. But Jesus specifically is going to give this name to the Holy Spirit. He's going to call him the Spirit of of truth. I think we ought to go deep and ask ourselves why. Why was that the name Jesus wanted us to know the Holy Spirit by? Well, the truth is we need truth help. The Holy Spirit has come to help us and where we need help the most is in the area of truth. We live in a world that would rather be politically correct than correct. And we live in a world that says it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and it's all just get along. And the reality is you can be absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong. I'm not going to a doctor who says, I don't care what kind of pill you take as long as you believe it will make you well. <laughs> if I need direction to get to the ER to save my wife's life, I don't want someone telling me it doesn't really matter what road you go down as long as you drive sincerely. So in the most important arena of all, what does God think we need some help? And the Holy Spirit is here to give us that. Let me read a longer text from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God has shown us these things through the Spirit. The Spirit searches out all things, even the deep secrets of God. Who knows the thoughts that another person has? Only a person's spirit that lives within him knows his thoughts. It's the same with God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we did not receive the Spirit of the world, but we received the Spirit that is from God so that we can know all God has given us. And we speak about these things not with words taught us by human wisdom, but with words taught us by the Spirit. And so we explain spiritual truths to spiritual people. A person who does not have the Spirit does not accept the truths 
that come from the Spirit of God. That person thinks they are foolish and cannot understand them. Because they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. There's so much there that we could explore. For one thing, for every preacher here who wonders why when you're preaching, some people look so alive and they're so tuned in, and some people look like they can't barely stay awake. Some people are just in a state of spiritual joy, and others are in a total fog. It takes the Spirit of God to hear and receive the truth of God. I don't mean to be uh, dogmatic here or judgmental, but we've got a lot of people in our church or just in the service who are not full of the Spirit of God. And it's just fog to them. It's just boring to them. It's just, let's get this over with. It's time to go to lunch to them. It takes the Spirit of God to know the truth of God. And what Paul is saying here is, is could Jesus have possibly have given us a better gift? The capacity to understand the thoughts of God. And this is one more reason why you can never view the Holy Spirit as an optional extra. It is absolutely essential that we grow in fellowship with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the mind of God. And don't buy the lie that you don't need help knowing the truth. We need a lot of help knowing the mind of God. And the Spirit reveals the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Look again, another verse, chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Now, Jesus is not saying that He's going to help you pass your physics exam. He is saying, everything you need to know to become the person God is calling you to be in Christ Jesus, you can know through the help of the Spirit of God. He'll guide you into all that truth. So what does that mean? Well, again, just like last night, this is a couple of simple thoughts, but deep. Here they are. Here's number one. The Spirit helps us hear the truth. He helps us hear the truth. Now, how does He do that? I think several ways. And the first is the most important. This Holy Spirit helps us read the Bible. Now, the Scriptures themselves declare the Holy Spirit is the author. And I'm pretty conservative on that. I believe the Bible is inspired by God. Specifically by the Spirit of Christ. In 2 Timothy 3, it says the Scriptures are God-breathed. And breath is that word for Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews 10, when, when uh, the author is quoting the Psalms, he specifically says the Holy Spirit says. In uh, 2 Peter 1, Peter says the scriptures that we have, these aren't just, just the thoughts written down by men, but these are thoughts that were written by men who were carried along by the Spirit of God. And so frankly, it's rude to ask the Holy Spirit to say more to your life if you're ignoring what He's already said. And He has already said a lot 
The Holy Spirit is not dumb insurance. Well, I'm just counting on the Holy Spirit to lead me. You need to study, open, and read your Bibles. And what the Holy Spirit does is help us discover and to possess the gold mine of truth that is in the Bible. And this is why this is so important. If you read your Bible and you do not ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, you are inevitably just going to reinforce your prejudice. And year after year after year, the Bible is just going to say what you already wanted to say before you open it. And how many of us have sat for years reading or under teaching that simply reinforces our already held assumptions and traditions? So I believe the Holy Spirit not only wrote Scripture, I believe the Holy Spirit is available to help us interpret Scripture, to understand Scripture. And so before you read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear the truth. One, one of the prayers I'll pray sometimes before my, my Bible study every day is in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. Before you read your Bible, take a moment, spend time with the Lord, and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to see in God's Word what you might be missing. To see in God's Word what you might need for that day and that moment. To see in God's Word truth that you might need to speak that day for someone else. Because the same Spirit that authored Scripture will create an appetite for it. And for me, one sure sign that you are growing in intimacy and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit is that you have an increased hunger to read the Bible. And so that's how He helps us hear the truth. He creates a hunger for the Word. He creates a capacity to see insight in the Word. He creates in us a willingness to get past our tradition and our prejudice to see things in the Word that challenge us and maybe change us in what we've always thought. Now, another way the Holy Spirit helps us hear the truth is by serving as an internal lie detector. Because our enemy traffics in deception. He is a liar and the father of lies. And this is why Scripture over and over and over says a transformed person must have a renewed mind. That the mind is the line of scrimmage. You lose the line of scrimmage you lose today. Uh, we have a lot of baptisms in my church. And I pray for every single new Christian by name. And I pray the same prayer. I pray first that God will protect you from assault from the enemy. I pray second that God will put someone in their life, a mature disciple, to walk with them. And the third thing I pray is that they will learn to think like a Christian. In other words, they will learn to start thinking Christian. If you'll go back and go check Paul's prayers for his churches, he never prays, I pray all the sick in your church will get well. He never prays, I pray everybody in your church needs to the final. He wouldn't have boasted those things. Here's what he would consistently pray for his churches, that their minds will be renewed, and they'll be filled with 
discernment and wisdom, they'll begin to start thinking like new creations. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. And so when you find yourself growing in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, one of the blessings is this. When the enemy tries to sow a lie, this internal truth alarm starts to go off. And you think, wait a second. That may sound smart, but that didn't sound right. Remember what John said, 1 John 2? You have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. Now, John is not saying that the church doesn't need teachers. In fact, the Holy Spirit gifts some to be teachers and evangelists, okay? What he's saying is not that we should rebuke human teachers, but he's saying we need to rebuke a dependence on human teaching. Here's, here's what I mean. Maybe this illustration will help. So several years ago, my youngest son convinced me for a season to join him in this torture chamber called CrossFit Gym. <laughs> and so several mornings a week, we would go to this thing called a CrossFit Gym, and I paid good money to be humiliated and get sweaty. So let's face it, at my age, do I really need to do upside-down push-ups? <laughs> the thing I noticed the most about this gym is that these people that come, they are cultish. I, I mean, they really are. In fact, I told them. One of them one day, I think you people are a cult. He said, no, we're not. I asked our leader. He said so. <laughs> okay, I'm having a joke, but here's my point. The consistent trait of a cult is this. We have a leader, and the leader hears from God, and the leader tells us what we're supposed to think. And John says, that's not how the church is set up. The internal teaching ministry of the Spirit is promised to every believer. And the Holy Spirit guides each of us to the truths of Christ so that we don't have to depend on any one person to tell us how to think the thoughts of God. And the Holy Spirit guards us from counterfeit messages that subvert the truth of Christ, no matter who they're coming from. So this is another way the Holy Spirit helps us hear the truth. He helps us read the Bible. He's that internal truth alarm that protects us from false messages. And I want to share one more way that I think the Holy Spirit helps us hear the truth. And that is through the communal discernment of Spirit-filled people. In other words, when the church and when the body of Christ gathers together, if you're in a room with people who are seeking truth and they are full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit anoints those kinds of gatherings. A good example of this is in Acts 15, where the church is facing the single greatest issue the church has ever faced. How big is the gospel? <clears throat> is the gospel big enough to include people of other ethnicities and other tribes and nationalities? Or do you have to become a Jew to become a gospel? So the church gathers together 
And, and they hear testimony from the mission work of Peter. They hear testimony from the mission work of Paul. And then they hear James get out the book of Amos and read from it. And they wrestle with text. And they wrestle with their own ministry. And they come to the conclusion that the gospel is for everyone. That you don't have to go to Moses to get to Jesus. And this is huge. And they write a letter to the church of Antioch. And remember how it starts? It's sing good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Somehow, as they got together and they prayed and they had honest, open discussion without accusing each other, and as they wrestled with text, the Holy Spirit was anointing that whole process to guide them to truth. So you need to go slow. If you think you hear the Spirit telling you something and none of your Spirit-filled friends are affirming that, You see, the conflict against the spiritual forces of darkness is primarily a truth battle. And Jesus sends us the gift of the Spirit to win it. It's been such a huge blessing the last 20 to 30 years of my life to learn to better listen to the Spirit's help in discerning truth. Such a huge blessing in my preaching, in my counseling with people, just in my life as a father and as a husband. But let me say this. It is hard to hear the Spirit when our lives are cluttered and distracted by so much ambient noise. And one of the reasons we are lacking in a vital sense of fellowship of the Holy Spirit is that we're too busy to listen to Him. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, Jack Benny and Gracie and they had, uh, no, it was George Burns and Gracie and they had a comedy routine. And, and in one of their routines, Gracie calls a clock repairman. She said, my clock doesn't work. So he comes to her house and he looks at it and he says, Matt, there's nothing wrong with the clock. You just haven't plugged it in. She said, well, I'm trying to save electricity. I would plug it in all the time it is. And you can see the problem is that many of us only want to tune in to God when we have a crisis. As I said last night, we only want a comforter when we're uncomfortable. Most of the day, we're too comfortable to need it. And so let me encourage you to be serious about pursuing intimacy with the Spirit. And if you are going to be serious, that's going to mean that you create, not find, you will never find it. You make the time to spend alone and in quiet in fellowship with God. Open and available to receive the message of the Holy Spirit. We're made to live always in tune with the Spirit. And when we do, we'll be able to live on topic. One more verse, chapter 15, 26 and 7. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So, those are simple, deep, but simple. The Holy Spirit helps us hear the truth. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us speak the truth. And I find it significant that the resurrected Christ did not send his disciples out to preach immediately after his ascension. They have witnessed the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. And their first order was not go. Their first order was wait. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to come. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the least expected group of people to launch a movement were able to do so because they were the most empowered. They had no assets, but they had an anointing. At Pentecost, people were saying, what's gotten into Peter and the disciples? Wrong question, better question. Who's gotten in? to Peter and the disciples. And these first disciples, they exhibited unnatural boldness and clarity because they had supernatural help just as Jesus had promised them. Back in Matthew 10, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time for it is not you who will be speaking it will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It's so important that we understand God doesn't send the Spirit just to help us walk, but to help us talk. And I have claimed this promise so many times. You think just because I'm a minister, I always know what to say? I can't tell you how many times I have stood outside the door of a hospital room, and on the other side of that door there is intense suffering or grief or pain. And there are no easy answers. And the natural part of me is in fear and wants to do something else. And I say that prayer outside that door. Father, I am going to walk through that door and I am going to trust that your spirit is going to give me words that are going to bring hope or comfort in this moment. I'm going to trust you on this because you promised that. Because this is not comfortable and this is not easy. But I'm going to be faithful because I know you want me there beside those who are hurting. But you're going to have to show up and give me something to say. And whether that's going to a jail or going to your unsaved neighbor or going to that person who's just lost a mate or that child who's in total rebellion, we are the people who put ourselves in places that are unnaturally comfortable because we believe in supernatural help. That God will give us words to say. Because I believe this. I believe the gospel requires words, not just deeds. The truth has got to be taught and not just caught. So, I'm going to go on about two to three minute rant here. I'm going to sound like an old, funny preacher. Just bear with it. In the last 10 to 20 years, the idea of actually preaching and proclaiming the gospel has been pushed to the side while we talk about how important it is to live the gospel. Who's going to argue with that? And social justice has superseded actual proclamation as the most important thing the church can do. Who is going to argue with the fact that we have to live what we believe? I'm here to affirm the fact that we must do 
good and let our light shine. I believe all of that. What I do not believe is that people are going to come to Christ simply because we live good lives. The gospel needs words. And so, you have a neighbor. And when your neighbor breaks his leg, you go to the yard. And when your neighbor's wife gets sick, you take food over every night. And when your neighbor gets cancer, you go see him in the hospital. And then your neighbor dies. What gospel did you preach to your neighbor? You preached a false gospel. You preached the most popular and heretical gospel in America. That God saves good people. Just be good. Because being good is good enough. Kindness does not wash away a single sin. Only blood does that. And the church must return and restore a passion for speaking the good news of what Jesus has done to save and rescue sinners. Amen. And to do that, we need help. And I personally believe the evangelistic apathy that exists in most churches today is the sad and inevitable consequence of lack of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will testify about me. We've all heard the story of the Titanic. You may not have heard the story of the Californian. The SS California was just about an hour and a half away from the Titanic and got the message that the Titanic was sinking and could have got there in time to rescue most of the people, but it never showed up. So there were Senate hearings. William Smith, Senator from Michigan, asked the captain of the California in the official Senate hearings, why didn't you answer the distress call? And the captain pitched uncomfortably and finally just said, well, we were afraid of icebergs too. So we had shut off all of our fire. And we had no power. Where there is no fire, there is no power. And when there is no power, the people that could be saved are lost. Fellowship with the Spirit will result in sharing the same passions and the Holy Spirit is passionate about lifting up Jesus so that all will be drawn to Him. The Holy Spirit is the most seeker-sensitive person in the New Testament. Check me on this. Go read the Gospel of Luke. Go read the book of Acts and see if it's not true. Every single time people or the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, the very next thing that happens always is proclamation. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit descends, the very first thing Peter does is explain and preach the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Christ. 
In Acts chapter 3, when they killed that layman and a crowd gathered, so they began to preach. And they are called before the authorities. And here's this uneducated fisherman in front of all these seminary professors. And he said, let me tell you something. There's just one name given under heaven by which men can be saved. But if you read the verse right before that, it says, Peter, full of the Spirit. And they threaten the church. If you speak this Jesus anymore, it's going to get bad for you. So at the end of chapter 4, they have prayer meeting. They don't pick it. They don't rant on Facebook. They just beg God. And they beg God to give them the power to do more of what's got them in trouble in the first place. And it says the Holy Spirit filled the place and the room shook and they spoke the word of God boldly. But maybe my favorite example is in chapter 7 where Stephen has said that Jesus brings a new day. And they begin to stone him. And it says, full of the Spirit, he said, I see Jesus standing by the right hand of God. And the only thing they knew Silence a man full of the Holy Spirit was work. See, the Holy Spirit has one curriculum the exaltation of Jesus as Lord and Savior. John 16 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit is not given to us for our agenda, but for Christ's. He is present. He is able. He is eager to help us do what does not come naturally. I'm tired of people saying, well, I just don't share my faith because that's not my gift. It just doesn't come natural to me. It's not supposed to be natural. That's why you need help. Witnessing is a supernatural work. And a great tragedy in our churches today and let's be honest. Most of our churches are in decline. Our fellowship is in decline. And it is not because we are living secretly sinful lives. But many of us are living secretly Christian lives. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us walk and talk Jesus. He wants to give some fitness to our witness. He'll help us find the courage and the words to confront, to convict, to encourage, and to proclaim the truth. Because here's the thing. Jesus is the truth. That's how this whole con uh, discourse started. John 14 through 16. It all started with this one statement. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus never said to anybody, believe that. He said, believe me. 
He's the Son of God. He's the way to God. He's the wisdom of God. And it is the Holy Spirit that helps us stay on topic. More and more I'm understanding the truth I have far fewer debates than I used to have as an early preacher about the side matters until we get the matter of Jesus settled. When I have conversations with lost people, well, I just don't believe all the stuff in the Bible. What about the dinosaurs? How old do you think the earth really is? Oh, no, no, no. What about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. Is he who he claimed he is? Have you studied the reasons why he said he came? Have you investigated the evidence for his resurrection? I don't know if I can answer all your other questions, but, but I have resolved this one thing. If a man can predict his death and his resurrection and pull it off, I'm going with him. <laughs> Let's decide about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is sent to help us have that conversation. It's the Holy Spirit that took this truth from my head to my heart. We all have um, moments in our life that were just game changers. I'll tell you one for me. It was August of 2002. I'd been in Zambia for about a week preaching mainly in the bush. Um, by the way, they have a ministry in Zambia I had never witnessed in my life. I mean, your church probably has the same ministries my church has. Greener ministry, visitation ministry, usher ministry, youth ministry. In Zambia, they have the crocodile ministry. <laughs> you preach, and then you walk down to the Zambezi River, and a couple of guys grab a big stick, and they start to snap in the water. I said, what are you doing? He says, we're chasing off the crocodiles. Let me tell you, your whole theology of baptism by immersion is <laughs> It was on a Sunday in August of 2002. And I'm under three big mango trees. And there are about 400 people there. The land had experienced a very severe famine. I was preaching to people who were literally starving. People that prayed the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, and they didn't pray it metaphorically. The AIDS crisis was prevalent. Over 20% of the population was HIV positive. I'll never forget looking at one young mom. She had a baby at both of her breasts while I preached because one no longer had a mother. And as I preached that day, it dawned on me that I'm going to go home and I'm going to start getting emails of people who want to fuss about this and want to fuss about that. And not even percent of the church fights I deal with are luxuries only rich Christians can afford. Amen. And in that moment, I don't care what you believe about the rapture or instrumental music. I just want you to stand here and give these people some hope in Jesus. He is the issue. He is the truth. And the fact that we can make so many other questions the issue of the brotherhood 
is frankly an indictment for lack of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. He keeps us on topic because he is the Spirit of truth. And the truth is Jesus. In fact, the Bible says you can't even say Jesus is Lord apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. So, let's close our time together by asking for help. So, Father, I'm praying right now over these sweet people who could be many places and they chose to be here. That they have received a word or a seed that will become a good fruit. Give us, God, greater insight into the wonder of the gospel. Give us, God, greater boldness in sharing the gospel. Give us greater integrity to actually live the gospel. And for this, God, we're going to give some help. And so we ask for more of your spirit, the spirit of truth, so that we can point to the truth, whose name is Jesus. And in that powerful name above every name we pray. Thank you very much.